The following is a presentation of Team Bonding, providing more than 100 live, virtual, or hybrid corporate team-building activities for companies around the world. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Hello again, team. It's me, your friend Rich Rinnensland, and I'm welcoming you back to Team Building Around the World. The podcast where I speak to people from the team bonding, team building industry from all over the globe. I am super excited today. We have something a bit different than our usual fare. We have Mr. Carl Burroughs, who is the director of Haka Works. He's a London-based company where they utilize tools from the Maori culture to motivate, inspire, and build teams. And before we get to Carl, of course, I need to actually send some love to my supporters out there. The show is supported by the Catalyst Team Building Network. Find out more about the world's largest network of team building providers at catalystglobal.com. And we also want to thank our friends at B1G1, which can make your business a real force for good. Visit B1G1.com to get started. Now, my friends, back in 2004, according to my research, Mr. Carl Burroughs was actually the founder and director of Haka Works and the Manaya. Is that, am I saying that correctly, Carl? Sure. Uh, Great. The Manaya uh, Performance Company. Now, just I want to give you guys a sample of what it is we're going to be hearing and what we're going to be talking about with Carl. Now that is just a small sample of Haka performed by the championship rugby team, the All Blacks. But I want you, my friends, to uh, join me in welcoming all the way from London, Mr. Carl Burroughs. Give him a big round of applause. And that's just a small team of people I keep shoved under my desk for just such occasions. Carl, how are you this morning? Good. It's afternoon here in London and <laughs> we're doing fine. We're doing really well. That's great to hear. So please, for my audience who may not know who you are, tell us all about yourself. If I was introducing myself in New Zealand, I, I want to try this today. As a Maori person, I'll be introducing myself in this particular way. And it goes like this. I'll say, ko taranaki te maunga, ko waitara te awa, ko maru aranui te tangata, ko ngāti maru te iwi, ko kāl. Burroughs Tokuingua. So you might have heard a couple of words in there that you recognize, and mm -hmm. that's my name, Carl Burroughs. Right. And I say that at the end, but just to give you a quick um, understanding of what I've just done, what, what I'm doing is I'm connecting myself to place, and I'm connecting myself to ancestors and also my family, my community. So I'm from a place called Taranaki, and I said my mountain is Taranaki. Mm. Um, I said my river is Waitara, and I said um, my, my ancestor is Maru. And my tribe is Ngati Maru. So I'm Maori on my mother's side and European on my dad's side. Mm. Um, and then we finish with, and my name is Carl. So it just builds this connection to land, to ancestors, to families. And, you know, we feel quite small when we say who we are in relation to those things. But actually, right. we feel quite big too, because as well as being ourselves, we are our families. We are our ancestors, we are where we come from, our mountains and our rivers. So um, that's how we'd introduce ourselves back at home in New Zealand. Um, I live in London, of course. Um, I came over here um, about 20 years ago as a young lawyer, um, and I spent a bit of time here in the UK um, in commercial law, and I didn't expect to stay so long. And then I thought, you know, there was a point where I thought, 
you know, do I really want to spend the rest of my life being a lawyer? And the answer was no. <laughs> and I just thought, um, what can I, what do I really want to do to fulfill myself in my life? And, and I turned back to my culture. And then I just thought, how can um, I share my culture over here, over here in the UK and further abroad? And so we started Manaya, which you said very well, Rich. Um, Thank you. It's quite hard to um, pronounce sometimes. So Manaya is our haka group. So we've got a whole bunch of haka performers and uh, we perform at weddings and festivals and commercial gigs and all sorts of things. And it's really about celebrating New Zealand. It's about celebrating our culture and it's bringing diversity and something new and unique. People know us because of the haka. Right. Um, and we're lucky we, and we owe the All Blacks something really. I mean, the All Blacks they perform this haka prior mm-hmm. to each match. And it's a ritual of preparation that gets them in the right frame of mind to go out and win and to defeat the, um, the competition. So people know haka and this is why they, they, they love the feeling and, and the energy of haka and this is why they get us um, involved. But one day it was uh, at a corporate gig for IBM and the executive director came up to us and said, hey, we love watching you haka, but what we really want is to feel what you feel when you haka together. Mm. So from that, we thought, okay, what is he talking about? He's talking about the way we express ourselves with such commitment, the energy that we have, the unity that we have within our team, the connectedness that we have when we perform haka. And then how do we break this down and, and present it in a way that's accessible to people who aren't from New Zealand who aren't Maori. Right. Um, and this is where this idea for um, utilizing haka as a way to build teams came about. Let's get into that. First off, just so most of my audience being from the state, you know, as we're speaking, they might recognize the name Jason Momoa more than the All Blacks. He's a, okay, famous, yeah. a famous actor who was Aquaman for the DC Cinematic Universe. And when he went to the premiere, he actually had a haka team doing That's chants right. with him. So feel free, folks, look that up on YouTube.com. Are there places where they can look for you, Carl? Sure. Um, well, HuckerWorks.com is our web address, but um, we have a, a YouTube channel as well, HuckerWorks and Manaya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you should be able to find us on there. As I was reading up on you, I keep seeing the same phrase coming up over and over and over. Values of Hakka. D- describe those to us. Haka is the most visual, visual aspect of what we do, but to get to the state of being, the state of connectedness, this intense energy that we have when we perform haka, um, there are certain things going on in the background, and they're, they're cultural, but also in terms of that they're specific to Maori culture, but also they're universal, that everybody has access to them um, within themselves. So I'm talking about, well, there's this level of throwing off ego. You've got to get rid of your ego and connect with your authentic self. Hmm. So authenticity is an important value when it comes to haka. Um, okay. It's not about doing it yourself. You're, you're not standing there doing haka by yourself. You're doing it shoulder to shoulder, standing with your team. When you dig deep inside and you spark that energy up that's inside you and you share it with others, there's this synchronicity of energy that's happening. And there's this connection that's happening. So Huck is not about yourself. You're doing it as a team, supporting each other and giving to each other. And also, I think the third thing is Hakka is about purpose. So, I mean, a lot yeah, of us, especially so. as younger performers and we come overseas and we perform and people tell us how wonderful uh, we are. And sometimes Hakka becomes about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And But you just find when you do Hakka in that sense, with that sort of purpose, it, it um, it loses its energy, it dissipates. But when you have a collective focus on purpose, this is what really brings the energy together, it really shapes it and gives it a bit more tangibility and essence. And it helps bind you together as a team when you're clear about what that purpose is. 
Hakka originates with the Maori culture, which you said is, is on your mother's side, your culture. What does Hakka mean to the Maori culture? Well, how did that come about? I mean, the easiest way to think about it really is Hakka just means to dance. It's a style of dance, but it, 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 that word encapsulates all the various forms of Hakka. So most mm-hmm. people are familiar with the style of the All Blacks, where you're talking about Jason Momoa, which is quite intense and powerful. Right. But there are other styles as well, which are a bit more um, relaxed, I suppose we could say. But they, all these haka are composed of words and actions and combining those in a collective sense, so everybody doing it together in a group. But, you know, they tell stories. They, um, they tell stories of the feats of ancestors, of the connection to the land, or it might be, you know, modern-day haka are more about how you might feel about a particular event that's going on that's topical in the country. It might be a protest against the government. Mm. Um, so people compose haka for all sorts of reasons, but they tell stories and they bind people together. They bind them to those stories. So let's talk about how you get from your background, having this as part of your your birthright in, in a sense, and deciding to bring it to a largely European culture starting out. Sure. Um, what made you decide that this was an avenue to, to travel? Yeah, um, re- that's a really good question. It's because it was something very new. I don't know of anybody else that had done it at the time that we started. Right. Um, it was something very new. And and also, you know, you're brought up within a culture and, you know, you get given these things from your family, from your elders, from your ancestors. And then you think, you know, is it my right to be able to go out and share those with other people? And, and there's a bit of hesitancy around that, especially when you're you're amongst the first that are doing it. Mm-hmm. I suppose where we got to with that is that when we look at the essence of haka, while the methodology is specifically ours, when you look at the essence of what we're doing, we're digging deep within you know humanity, within the psyche of a person, and we're opening that up. And there's something that's been repressed within a lot of cultures. And mm. I think what we have as Maori is a, a direct a, a route to those parts of ourselves to open them up um, and share them with others. So I thought that, that there's benefits beyond just ourselves, provided that we are able to share what we do in a way which retains the uniqueness, honoring those who have passed that knowledge down to us. Um, it's not always easy to to navigate this path because, you know, people demand entertainment. Right. And that's all part of it as well, being entertaining. But I think if we, we get it right when we start to open people up to the deeper aspects of haka, which is about connecting to our authentic selves and connecting to each other and connecting to purpose, as I was saying. Mm. Um, And we can start to feel the energy that happens within the room if people start to loosen up and let go of their ego and start to bond together. You know, you can start to really feel that happening. And at those moments, you feel like you've honored um, those who have passed down the knowledge to you. As I said, it's not always um, possible to get there, but we certainly try our best to make sure everything's in line for that to happen. Amazing. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. About three years ago, I was out in L.A. assisting with an escape room for a team building event. And when we had finished and the the client had cleared the room, we were still cleaning up. We were working like 35 tables, groups of 10. But as we're doing that, these men in Maori costume come in and they're like, oh, you're still here. We're sorry. We need to check the sound and test the space. And we're like, well, we're just cleaning. So so long as we're not in your way, please feel free. Do whatever you need to. I had never seen Hakka before. I had never seen that that kind of intensity performed. And, wow. I, and I've been an actor for 26 years. So seeing that yeah. in large group of men going on the stage and performing their Hakka, I have to say, I, I had a team of about 10 people working with me, 10 assistants, and we're, we're cleaning the tables and we're getting everything ready to go. 
we all had to stop. And I'm looking around and I'm watching as everybody's just staring agape at these men. It is mesmerizing to behold. Yeah. What is it, do you think? Like, do you think that's part of that suppression we were talking about? Like, we're just not used to seeing anybody that outgoing? Yeah, I think we all have this expectation, you know. I was talking about ego before. We all have this expectation that we play a particular role mm-hmm. in society, whether or not that's as a, as a father, as a boss, as, as um, I don't know, mother-in-law, um, whatever it is. Um, and so society dictates that we act a particular way. And so we manage our personalities to be able to fit these expectations of others and also fit these expectations of self. So this is where ego comes in. Mm. And it has a role to play in society. I mean, it makes things easier. It makes things a bit more smoother. But at the same time, it can suppress actually what exists under there, which is quite powerful. Right. And I think what all we, all we have is in our culture really is, is a route to that source. Um, and, and there are other routes, of course. There are many other ways of getting there. Mm-hmm. But once you connect with that, I mean, the word haka, if we break it down, ha is we say breath or the, the breath of life or the spirit of life. And ka is to ignite or to fire it up. So it's, um, you know, taking off the ego, connecting deep inside, igniting that spark within the spirit within and then that energy from that at an individual level um, gets shared in a, in a collective level and it becomes just that more, much more intense um, and powerful. And it's not, you know, I mean, for everyone it's different, but I think it's not something that you're in your head, you're not going, okay, I've got to be a warrior. I've got to be really strong and, mm-hmm. and intense. Even that thought needs to go. Mm-hmm. You just got to let all thought go and just be present in the moment, connecting to that real part of who you are. That's fantastic. Carl, thank you so much. Give me one quick second here. I have to, as we say, pay some bills over here. And I need to tell my team all about the Catalyst Team Building Network, an association of team building providers. With representatives in over 90 countries speaking more than 20 languages, the Catalyst Network is widely regarded as the voice of the team building industry. Network members share resources, best practices, and business opportunities. Catalyst partners are learning from each other and pushing the boundaries of what is possible in team building. Catalyst network members share a common goal of creating highly relevant, socially responsible, good-valued experiences for their clients. For more information, please visit CatalystGlobal.com. The Catalyst Team Building Network, the world's largest network of team building providers. So let's talk about some teamwork of what this entire podcast is actually about Carl how do you because I I have to say one of the biggest obstacles that that I have ever faced going in front of an audience of you know middle management and higher people who they know that they're there to have fun and this is supposed to be kind of the relaxing moment when they're with us after six to eight hours of meetings endless endless meetings how do you Manage to, in a brief amount of time, get folks to break down that ego, that fear, that concern is I'm going to look stupid in front of everybody I work with. How do you get through that and get them to open up to you? Well, we start off with a hucker performance. So that's, you know, we usually it's a surprise. So we might come through. You know, we're in a, in a big event and, and we come through the crowd, uh, through the seating area um, with our conch shells, with our chants, and we arrive on stage and do a haka. And even the haka in itself, it starts to create a sense of, you know, what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes people feel a bit nervous as well. Um, and I understand that, you know, it's like you're helping them connect to some, somewhere where they're not used to going. So they feel a bit nervous about that. Right. 
also it creates a sense of anticipation, you know, and people um, know that, okay, something different's going on down here. And so they're open to something new straight away. Mm. At the same time, they don't know how it's going to go from there. And so it's my job. I'm pretty serious. I come out and I say who I am and who we are. And that we're Maori and this is important to us, you know, um, and I tr- but at the same time, well, I mean, the reason for that is just to make sure that they realize this isn't some sort of joke, um, which, right. you know, it could be interpreted that way if we get it wrong. So they know that we're serious. Um, and then it's a matter of just slowly opening people up and um, you do that through humor, you do that through getting them to trust you, tell them what you're going to be doing. And there's a point where I just say, okay, we're all going to stand up now and everyone gets up. Um, there are two ways we do uh, these haka workshops. We either get them, everybody to do it in front of us um, from the stage, or if there's opportunity and time, we get people to break out into um, different rooms. But to answer your question, um, it's essentially about trust, and I think that's integrity is a, a big part of that. Mm. Um, there's another part. I mean, I'm young. I'm not so young. I've got some really young guys who are just really quite dynamic. Yeah, and you've, been, you've been doing well. this for 15 years now, professionally, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm and I'm and it's my personality to be quite you know serious and and because I really believe in these things, but uh-huh. um, it works really well when I bring um, my wife comes with me. She's just she's a dancer and she um, mm. she's just really engaging and gets people up and moving. She teaches dance, um, or some of the younger guys, you know, and they just um, know how to make it a bit more relaxed and funny. So I think there's a, we need a bit of both. Mm. You need that contrast to help people trust you and relax as well at the same time. So you depend as much on your team as you do they looking to you as a leader. Yeah, definitely. I definitely rely on them. Um, they've got some attributes that I don't have, and I've got some of the things that um, they don't have. So together, um, it works really well. But, you know, as, as you go through the process, you know, people are kind of, you know, there's there's a whole bunch, especially when we do it in the US, there's a whole bunch that just want to get into it no matter what. There's a, a few at the back that don't want, really want to participate. I mean, there's 80% really that are just sitting on the, on the fence, but right. you know, you take them through it, you, you, you get them to do something that they can achieve without even thinking about it um, in terms of body movement and slowly um, people start to let go and relax. And when they completely let go um, and start to give and they're just really generous, that's when it all starts coming back. Mm. Generous of spirit. Yeah. It, from just looking at it the first time it was, it was, shown before me it seems very masculine it seems very almost like warrior spirit driven which speaks to me as, as i myself in my youth was looking for something in those same in those same regards but that's not the core of it is it no people know haka as a war dance so it was performed by our warriors as a way to prepare themselves to go into battle and when mm. the all blacks perform haka it's the same thing it's the same mindset right um they're preparing themselves to go and defeat enemies and and as a result, they're there to commit themselves no matter what. Uh, but also in the past, as as in now, we perform haka for a whole lot of reasons. Um, mm. and they could be at weddings, they could be at uh, funerals, they could be to celebrate special occasions or just to have fun and enjoy ourselves, to entertain ourselves. Um, but whatever the occasion, it's about you know coming back to that purpose and everyone focusing on that purpose. So it's not just about men, and that's another misconception or myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just about being a warrior. It's about committing yourself fully in terms of your body, in terms of your spirit, in terms of your voice and action as a collective to that particular thing that you're setting out to achieve together. Um, So yeah, even though people perceive it as a warrior thing, um, I think it's just really 
as soon as you start having the ideas of what you should be, I think that detracts from, you know, where you really need to go. Huckers all about connecting with your authenticity and sharing that with others. Right. Did you find that that was almost one of the challenges as you were like 15 years ago trying to promote this, that people didn't want that kind of masculinity or what they mistook Haka to be? More so now than in the past. I think in Uh. the past, a lot of our clients were, you know, CEOs that went to university and played rugby, especially in the UK and Europe. Sure. Uh, Even in the US, you know, there are a lot of um, universities, top tier universities where the CEOs played rugby. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have fond memories of rugby and they associate rugby with haka. So to be honest, then that really didn't get in the way. It was quite quite an advantage. It's not an advantage now. Um, there are still a lot of people who expect haka for us to come out and the, and the warrior aspect is really important to them. Yeah. Interestingly, interestingly, in different parts of the US, we experienced that. Maybe, you know, I don't know if this is a generalization, but when, when everyone we're in Texas and Dallas, you know, it seems to be this is the kind of thing that they're looking for. Mm. Whereas on the on the west coast of the US, um, I think the diversity aspect is is more important um, so, and the deeper values behind it. Again, a generalization, but just to say that some people think the warrior part is important. Right. I don't think it is. And I think, yeah, I just look at the deeper aspects or values of Haka and they're more universal than that. Let's focus for a minute there, if we can, on the teamwork aspect of it. What does your program do to assist, say, like an American company with getting their team organized? There's, there are various programs we have. So um, there's the Energizer. Sometimes we just come into an event mm. uh, and we do a quick Energizer. So maybe 30 minutes, you know, um, just coming in, doing haka, teaching people, and we're out of there. Mm. Uh, so there's not much team building going on there, but you're creating huge amounts of energy within the, an event. Right. Um, we have a, the, another program called the Team Builder, which is you know about an hour long, which just enables us to talk a bit more in depth about the values that are going that are actually going underneath the expression of haka, which I've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we have another program where I do a lot of talking about. Well, just again, more more of the deeper values behind Haka and draw on examples from the All Blacks, um, from business and from my Maori culture, basically telling stories about the importance of some of the things that we've spoken about. So again, being um, your authentic self, putting your team before the individual. So it's team before Mm. self and being really clear about purpose and the way that purpose, um, having a compelling purpose can galvanize teams. And, yeah, and drawing on examples from the All Blacks in our culture to do that. It even shows in the way that you introduced yourself to us, where it was, yeah. I am from this place, I am from this tribe, but I am this person. That's right. So that's one of the, the um, exercises we do in our workshops, actually. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, usually with most workshops, I'll, I'll open my, introduce myself like that, and I'll give a, a thorough explanation of what it's about. And then I'll invite people to stand up and speak. And I mean, people will talk about, you know, the connection that they have to the land, and they'll talk about their ancestors that left um, Germany in 1942 and, and fled to the U- United States. Mm. Um, they'll talk about growing up in an urban backyard um, in the tenement um, and how much that meant to them and how it shaped them. And it's just all these stories that they just, they're an opportunity to present another side of you. Because, you know, when we usually introduce ourselves, we say, this is my name and I do this. Right. So your identity is tied into your job, but actually there are a lot of other aspects of who you are that you don't bring to work. And these um, help us connect to that more deeper part of of ourselves. 
So starting to do that, um, you're opening yourselves up and you're connecting with others straight away. Mm. Um, then we talk about haka and um, some of the things that I've already spoken about. Um, people get involved in the process, they open themselves up, they give, they commit. And then when it comes to purpose, what I like to do is just, I mean, there's a couple of ways we deal with that. One is um, we can compose haka specifically for a client. Mm -hmm. And again, haka is about connecting to those values and that purpose. So we ask them, you know, what are your values? Uh, what is your purpose? And mm -hmm. we compose a haka, a chant in Māori, um, nice and simple, nice and short, um, which they can learn. We get them to come up with actions, their body actions, which reflect those. Um, and we get them to teach each other. And at the end of the day, we've got this haka chant that they've composed, which is their own, um, which helps them, you know, embody values and body purpose through them performing it and having and composed it themselves. What kind of uh, body movements are you talking about? <laughs> um, I'm laughing because some of them aren't very haka looking when, when people um, <laughs> offer them up. So, um, But you know, um, there's even if you think just a simple one like unity, unity is really important in, yeah. in our organization. And they might come up with some sort of action which shows that um, or solidarity um, that even if it's, you know, putting arms shoulder to shoulder, standing united. Okay. Um, it could be something like that, which they've come up with. And it's just my job and the, my team's job to sort of make them a lot more, a bit more huckerish, I suppose, so people can really um, focus on putting their energy into the, into the movement. Let me take one more minute if I can, Carl. Just so I can tell my team all about B1G1, which can make your business a real force for good. When you're part of B1G1, you bring new purpose, meaning, and relevance to your business by making giving a core of what you do. Unlike conventional giving models, B1G1 helps small and medium-sized businesses achieve more social impact by embedding giving activities in their everyday business operations to create unique giving stories. Every business transaction can impact lives from just as little as one cent. So please, visit B1G1.com to get started. B1G1, business for good. So, Carl, are there any kind of charities that you get involved with, either through your, your corporate work or through the Manaya? Yeah, I mean, every now and then a charity would um, approach us and say, hey, are, are we willing to help and um, support them in what they do? And, yeah, we you know we love helping, depending on what it is, mm -hmm. um, and especially if there's some sort of New Zealand connection or indigenous um, aspect to, to what they do. Anything or, you want to give a shout out to? Culture. Well, there was one, I, I, I'm not going to say the name, I'm going to get it wrong. But it was, uh, I just want to tell you the story behind it because they're, they're an organization which promotes women in the workplace. And so it was the first opportunity for us to send an all-female team Lovely. to go and run a haka workshop. So we had four really strong female haka performers. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a blast. And, and the, the feedback we got, and the audience was 90% women as well. The feedback we got was amazing. And it's just a shame. you know, We'd love to do more of those. Um, but, you know, it's quite a specific target and to find that, that type of people within an organization. Getting into those memories, can you give us any of your favorite memories from one of your events? Sure. Uh, I've been traveling all around the world. It's a, it's a real privilege for me to be able to do this um, mm -hmm. and sharing our culture. One of the most interesting places we went to was Iraq. Um, wow. And this was 2013. And, and I think things had started to settle down there at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And um, so we got invited over to a place called Erbil, which is in the north. And Erbil hadn't been bombed for seven years at the time that we went. Mm. Uh, so we thought, okay, safe enough. We sent a big team over, about eight eight people. 
And it was, it was incredible for two reasons. One, when we were there, a bomb went off um, and it was the start of ISIS emerging in the north of Iraq. Wow. So that was pretty scary. And uh, we got uh, locked in the bunker downstairs and we we're all in our, in our traditional costume, which if you've seen a Hakka team, we don't tend to wear much. Right. Uh, but, you know, lucky it was warm enough. Uh, so, <laughs> so that was a bit freaky. And I don't know, it was just freaky because we were with 200 Iraqis uh, teaching them haka and seeing that this was just a part of their everyday life because they come from all around. They've come from Baghdad to come to this event. Yeah. And the, the other amazing thing, I mean, again, this is going to be a generalization uh, about different cultures, but what I like to say about working with the Iraqi people is that, you know, connecting to this part of who they are that we've just been discussing right, uh, right. was really quite easy for them to do and I feel like their skin is so thin in terms of um, the ego that it just went bang and they just got it straight away and it was a real powerful event and at the end of um, we had four groups and there's a competition and you know we announced the winner and um, they grabbed the two trainers who'd um, organized you know taught the winning team and Mm -hmm. put them on top of their shoulders and did an Iraqi dance and and, um, you know danced around the room with them on top of the shoulders so it was that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That would have been something to see. Now, um, do yeah, you have... it was fiery. It was fiery. <laughs> now, can I ask, do you have any more embarrassing or I don't, I don't want to say fails, um, <laughs> but the other end of the spectrum where maybe they weren't quite so successful and how do you get past that? Yeah, this, I mean, this was nearly a fail for me, um, but lucky <laughs> I've got a great team, you know, and especially when, um, when I first started, I mean, one thing about hucker is if you do it the wrong way mm-hmm. and you do hucker in your throat, there's a danger you can lose your voice. Oh. So here we are in front of, you know, 400 people in Germany doing hucker. Um, and you, when you tend to do that is because you're overexcited and you forget to go into your diaphragm, as, right. as you'll know, as, as an actor. Right. Um, you'll forget to go into your diaphragm. And it's all about you and your um, and your throat and your voice. And um, so I got to the end of the hucker and I walked out into the middle of the stage to take, to take my place to do the presentation and I opened my mouth and nothing came out. Hmm. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so someone rushed up with a, um, a glass of water. But it, it didn't make any difference. So here I was for about a minute on stage and there was silence, really embarrassed, not knowing what to do. One of my guys stepped up and he took over and um, saved the day. So still, still is a bit of embarrassment, but I was lucky to have, you know, a really talented team to cover the gaps that's when that why, happened. That's why we're talking about teamwork. You got to keep <laughs> that team close to you. Well, Carl, also, just, yeah, sorry, just no, also the other thing really is just hackers. You can get excited through hacker or anything in life. And, and then you start to forget, you know, the, the things that you need to do to put in place to ensure that you do the best thing that you're um, possible. And I think this is where having our little rituals is really important. You know, when we prepare for haka, mm-hmm. we go through warm-ups and we do a karakia, which is just a little chant to connect us and make sure we're focused on what we're about to achieve mm. um, and we get in the right frame of mind. And I think those little rituals are really important. And sometimes you forget because it might be about you or it might be you're too rushed. And this is when little mistakes can happen. But yeah, good having a team to back you up. And those little rituals too. I think that people, especially nowadays, they tend to forget that they need those little connections, those little touchstones of themselves before they can join other people too. 
Yeah, definitely, because we're so caught up on our own minds and minds and the problems that we may have had uh-huh. uh, with our families or getting to work or something wrong with the car. And if you can't let those go when you're right. in a meeting um, and talking to people, um, you can't connect. And um, that's really important when it comes to teamwork. Give me something short and simple, if you don't mind, just just something you would say to someone a little touchstone that they can use in, in moments like that. I mean, this is culturally specific and it's something that I do and uh, it might not work for everybody, but um, you know, our ancestors are really important to us. So sometimes when I go up to speak, what I will do is, is I'll ask, well not ask, just um, say, you know, I'm speaking on their behalf. And the way, the, the reason I say that um, is in our culture, you know, all the things that we do now uh, we see as a result of, what has happened in the past, what has happened prior. And so we are living the the legacy of our ancestors. So mm. it almost takes it away from me personally. And it says, this is not your gig. This is, um, you know, you're speaking on behalf of all those who have gone before you. You're in this moment in time as a result of them. And when you speak, the voice is not necessarily coming from you. Um, and I think it just takes a bit of pressure off you that, you know, whatever comes out of you is, is kind of right, mm-hmm. you know. Not saying that you don't work. I mean, I mean, you don't prepare. Um, right. But when you are prepared, I think that just takes the extra pressure off. And some people might turn to God to say the, the same thing. You know, fantastic, Carl. I could go on and on talking to you about this. This is amazing. Uh, but unfortunately, we've just about come to that time. However, before we go, we're going to put you through our speed round. Now, to explain what this is, for any of those people out there who have gone into an event like I lead or or Carl leads, and you feel that that immense sense of dread at being forced to do something you maybe don't really want to do, this is your moment of revenge. Because what (laughs) we're going to do here, Carl, is I'm going to take 60 seconds and I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And your objective is to answer them as quickly as possible. Don't think, just do. Do you think you can handle that? Yep. Fantastic, my friend. So as soon as the music begins, I'll start asking you questions. What's your name? Carl. How many children do you have? Three. Which one's your favorite? <laughs> the one that's not arrived yet. Oh, lovely. Congratulations. <laughs> what accomplishment are you most proud of? Running Huckerworks. Excellent. Who's your favorite celebrity? Bob Marley. What was your favorite toy growing up? A buzzy bee, even though I never had one. <laughs> What's your most beautiful place you've ever visited? Um, my hometown in Taranaki, Waitara. What historical figure do you wish you could have been? Um, I've got an ancestor, Maru, which I wish I'd met. Excellent. Um, what would you rather be, invisible or be able to fly? Fly. Where would you like to live for one day? Iceland. If you could live in a TV show, which TV show would you like to live in? The news. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Um, chocolate mint. Oh, right in under the buzzer. And my God, 13, you are now our lead. You have actually answered more questions in 60 seconds than any other guest I've had. Ladies mm. and gentlemen, please give a big round of applause for Carl Burroughs. Thank you so much for being with us, Carl. Once again, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, huckerworks.com. You can find us. Love to hear from you. And uh, if they were looking for um, the Manaya Performance Company? Yeah, we've got manaya.co.uk. Also, Team Bonding. Get in touch with teambonding.com. Um, they've been a really amazing partner to work with in the U.S. and North America. My boss thanks you for the 
for the unsolicited plug. <laughs> All right, my friends, that's going to be it for us. Uh, Carl, once again, thank you so very much. And thank you to all my team out there for listening to Team Building Around the World. If you like this show, please share it with a friend or a colleague. And we'd be grateful if you would subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And leave us a favorable review. If you didn't like the show, then just shut up about it. That'll be fine. All past episodes can be found at teambonding.com. So once again, team, remember, this has been Rich Rinsland. You've been listening to Team Building Around the World. And if you are within the sound of my voice, you are now on my team, and I am always on yours. Thanks again, everyone, and we will see you next time. It's been said that you learn more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. So why not put your co-workers to play with the help of the team at Team Bonding? Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? Their catalog of innovative events includes scavenger hunts, Jeopardy, and much more. Each activity, whether live, virtual, or hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team Bonding, when you want seriously fun results.